Well, again, good morning, everybody. Um, so happy you're here gathered with us today on this Wednesday morning. Um, super excited to, uh, to be with you and also to introduce you to our guest speaker today for chapel, uh, Pastor Caitlin Stenerson. Uh, pastor Caitlin is the senior pastor at Knox Church, which is a 116-year-old faith, uh, congregation of faith here in South Minneapolis. Uh, Caitlin is uh, the former campus pastor at Bethel University. Um, that's how I first got to know Caitlin uh, through her role there. Pastor Caitlin is passionate. She's passionate about telling the story of Jesus, um, helping people connect their work to God's global call, and equipping everyday disciples to see meaning and value in living out their individual kingdom mission. Pastor Caitlin holds a Master of Divinity from Bethel Seminary. Where she's, when she's not leading in South Minneapolis, you can find her discovering new coffee shops, spending time with family and friends, or talking about her dog. Would you help me welcome to the stage this morning, uh, Pastor Caitlin Stenerson. I know, uh, I know the Bethel Confession is a little rocky on this campus, so I will have you know two of my cousins were Northwestern graduates. We got a few North Central in our family, but we have no crown, which honestly feels a little fitting. Um, and so things are great in our family. Like Darren said, I'm the, uh, the senior pastor at a church called Knox Church. It's in South Minneapolis. It's an awesome church. We've been around 116 years. We're in the middle of a revitalization. He gave me permission to say from the stage, we're hiring a kids ministry director, like five to seven hours a week. If you love kids, um, come and talk to me. We're going to be building a really cool program from the ground up. Uh, we want people who love Jesus, love kids, and love to have fun. And so if that's you, you should come and talk to me for sure. Um, I used to be the campus pastor at Bethel. I left that job two months ago to work at Knox, and it has been a crazy transition. Um, I have never worked in a small church before, and so I went from a campus of like 2,200, 18 to 22 year olds to a church of like 50 people, and my youngest elder is 63. So it's great to be with college students again, um, and it's really, really exciting to get to be here at Northwestern. I have been here multiple times, but never on the chapel stage. Uh, well, this past spring, when I was a campus pastor at Bethel, uh, I kind of had a whirlwind few months. I went in for a normal doctor's appointment in February, and at the time I was seeing a brand new doctor and she was doing the normal check, and I said, hey, you're going to feel a lump on my neck. I've had that for about seven years. I already went to an ENT, and the ENT said it's a bone. And she felt it, and she looked at me, and she said, I just really don't think that that's a bone. <laughs> Bones don't feel like that. And I was like, yeah, no, I know that, but the ENT said it's a bone, and so it's a bone, right? And she said, well, I'd really like for you to have an ultrasound. And so on Valentine's Day, very romantic, I went into the doctor's office, and I had an ultrasound, and after the ultrasound, she called me at home, and that's never a good sign when your doctor calls you at home, and she said, hey, I'd really like for you to go have a biopsy. And so I went in a week later, and I had a biopsy done, and they came back, and they said, it's a tumor, we're pretty sure it's benign, but we really want you to have it removed can you pick a surgery date? And so right away, I said to my doctor, I said, hey, I want to go down to the Mayo Clinic, and I want to have surgery down there. And in the meantime, my campus community at Bethel was rallying around me. And, and part of my job at Bethel was overseeing our worship teams. And so our worship teams at one point said, Pastor Caitlin, at the end of our meeting, they said, can we just pray over you right now? And so they started praying, and they were like calling down heaven to earth, right? Some of our students were praying in Spanish. Some of our students were praying in tongues. It was crazy in that room. And the entire time, I was trying so hard to focus on them praying, but I was absolutely petrified because my mind was racing, and I was like, what if I'm not healed miraculously? What if the tumor doesn't go away? What if I go into surgery and it is cancer? And what's that going to do to their faith? 
And almost every time that one of my students would come up to me in the hallway and they'd say, hey, I'm praying for you and I'm praying that the Lord's gonna heal you. In the, the back of my mind, I was so, so scared, not for me, but for them, right? Because in my mind, I was, I was very content in the fact that the Lord can heal in many ways. And even though I longed for the Lord to heal me miraculously, I knew that the, the Lord can also heal through medicine and surgery and through doctors and, and through the knowledge that we've grasped of his universe and his body. And, and so I was very content that either way the Lord would heal me. And I was okay with either way. But people were so seeking and so desperately searching for the Lord to heal miraculously. And it scared me so bad. I mean, how many of you guys have ever had prayers that you've been praying for months or weeks or years and it just seems like they're not getting answered, right? Or you're praying for other people or you're praying for healing and it just seems like it's not coming true or you're praying for your next job or you're praying that you can make your tuition payment this semester and in the back of your mind, you're like, if this doesn't happen, what does this do to my faith? Or what does this do to my friend's faith? What does this do to my family's faith? What does this do to my sibling's faith? How will this impact how I view who God is if this thing that I'm desperately seeking and longing for isn't coming true? Or if the prayer is answered, but the answer to the prayer doesn't look like the answer that I actually really wanted deep down. I think if we're honest, we've all had those moments, right? We've been praying for something or praying for someone. In the back of our mind, there's this little glimmer of fear that maybe even in the midst of desperately seeking, the answer to the prayer won't look like what we want it to be. Or it will look like it's not answered. Or we've had those moments where it hasn't been answered, and so we're afraid, and we're bummed. And it can shake our faith in who God is because we think that God acts one way, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't look that way anymore. And what does that mean for our faith? I mean, this happens all the time when it comes to families or illnesses or, or bills to pay, when it comes to world things that are happening. I mean, how fervently a lot of us have prayed for Ukraine, how fervently a lot of us have prayed for the Middle East. And it just seems like instead of getting better, this is getting worse. Where is God in the midst of all of this? Well, I'm entirely compelled by the story who, of who Jesus is, right? It's what I've centered my entire life around. It's what I've centered my entire work around because I believe that scripture is true. I believe God is really good and that God revealed himself through his son, Jesus, and Jesus is worth our full following. Jesus is worth every bit of my allegiance and every bit of my time. And so the story of Jesus begins with Jesus calling these disciples to follow him. And there's something about Jesus that's so compelling for these disciples that they leave behind their family business, they leave behind their boats and their nets, and without knowing anything of what Jesus will bring into their lives, without knowing a minute of what the journey will look like, they follow him. They have no idea the high moments, they have no idea the low moments, but they decided in that moment that Jesus was worthy of their full following. And then he invites them to reap the harvest that God has already sown. In fact, he stands with them and he looks at all the people and he says they're dejected, that they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, pray with me that the God of the harvest would send more workers into his field. And then he sends the disciples off to do the work of the kingdom. They proclaim the kingdom of God as they travel and they do the work of the kingdom of God. They're healing people, they're bringing hope, they're bringing restoration into the world. 
And then he has this moment with the disciples. That's this amazing, miraculous moment. And it actually happens twice, even though most of us think it only happens once. In the book of Matthew, it's recorded that Jesus has these two miraculous feedings where he takes just a few loaves and a few fishes and he divides it up and it's more than enough to feed everybody in attendance. And so the disciples are seeing the kingdom of God working. I mean, their whole life is wrapped around this person who is doing miracles, who is speaking the truth and the words of God. It's everything that they've devoted themselves to. And then there's this beautiful story that happens that I'm sure for the disciples might have been a really confusing moment. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, whether it's uh, paperback or on your phone, open with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 22 through 33. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, and this is in the CSB version, Matthew records this. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land. It was battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, commands me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hands. He caught hold of him and he said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshiped him. And they said, truly, you are the son of God. Now, this story, every time I read it, I discover more and more glimpses into what life like Jesus was like. And some of it is rightfully mind-blowing. Because here's what I find so wild about this story of who Jesus is. So Jesus, after feeding the 5,000 again for the second time, he sends his disciples up ahead to the other side. And he goes up on the mountain to pray to the Father alone. Now he's up on the mountain, and I don't know how many of you guys have ever spent time in the Middle East, but I traveled there in 2013, and I remember being up on the mountain looking at the sea, and you can see everything that's happening on the water. And so Jesus must have seen the storm rolling in. He must have felt the wind picking up. He must have seen the boat traversing and traveling on the water. He must have known that the disciples were starting to get a little bit afraid. And yet what's interesting here is we see this weird lapse of time that at night, Jesus is up on the mountain and he's praying alone. And then it says, very early in the morning, he went out on the water. Now there's this weird lapse of time there, right? Because we would expect God to show up immediately as soon as the wind and waves picked up. And yet there's this time where Jesus stays up on the mountain. And even though he knows that the storm around is surging, he walks down there in the morning. You see, I think we really like a God that we can control. I know I do. I would love a God that I could control, that shows up when I want him to, that doesn't show up when I don't want him to, that does what I want him to do in the moment I want him to do it in the way I want him to do it. 
And yet the image of God that we see in the life of Jesus is a God who shows up on his own terms and in his own time and with his own plans that sometimes look very different than what the disciples ever would have expected. And so he steps out on the water in the morning and the disciples see him and rightfully so, they're terrified. I think if any of us were on a boat and the wind and the waves were surging and we were already a little bit afraid, we weren't sure if the boat was gonna make it to the other side and then you see someone walking on the water towards you, any of us would have been rightfully terrified. And in fact, this is a common reaction all throughout scripture whenever people see an angel of the Lord or they see the Lord that there's this moment where they're like, what is happening in our world today? And Peter's first reaction is to put what he's seeing to the test. And so he calls out to Jesus and he says to Jesus, if it is really you on the water, you command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And there's this moment where Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk toward Jesus. And there has to be this moment for the disciples when they're thinking none of this makes sense and yet all of this makes sense, right? Of course, after seeing who Jesus is and following Jesus so closely and seeing the miracles Jesus has done, of course Peter would be able to step out on the water. And Peter must have been thinking, of course Jesus would make this happen. And then his gaze shifts. And instead of keeping his eyes locked on Jesus, he notices that the waves are getting a little higher and the wind is getting a little bit more dangerous. And the water seems a little deeper than he thought it was. And he begins to be afraid. And instead of doing what Jesus had commanded him to do, his feet start to sink into the water. And there's this moment that I read differently the past few years than I had ever read before. There's this moment where it says that Jesus reached down and he took his hand and he pulled him up and then he looks at him. And I used to hear the phrase like this. I used to hear it like, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? You see, I think our image of God impacts everything about our lives. What we believe God sounds like and what God says to us impacts everything about our lives. And some of us grew up with that picture of God that's like that, you of little faith. Why'd you doubt? That is waiting for us to make a mistake. That sits up in heaven with his arms crossed and a furrowed brow. That gets mad when we step off course that yells, that chastises. And yet the past few years, as I've read more and more in scripture about who God is and what God is like and what Jesus showed us God sounds like, I hear it now like this. He grabs his hands and he pulls them up and he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That the voice of God in that moment doesn't sound like chastising Peter for his lack of faith. It sounds like this moment that a father would have with his son to say, you knew I had you. Why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? There's this phrase that, that, uh, that Jesus uses there that's only used four other times in Matthew and it's always used towards the disciples. This phrase of you of little faith, he uses it to define the disciples' worry, to define their fear, and to define their lack of understanding in what God is doing. Jesus has this moment where as he calls him you of little faith, he's calling him towards a deeper faith in who he is. He's he's bringing to mind in each of those phrases these moments where they took their eyes off of who God was and they started to look at the improbability of what was happening. 
He says, you have little faith. And then he says, why did you doubt? And this word that he uses to say doubt, it's only used twice, and it means to have a faith that wavers, a faith that changes and shifts based off of the circumstances that you're in. To have a faith that, that changes when you take your eyes off of Jesus and onto the waves and you start to realize, wait, the waves are a little higher than I thought they would be and the wind's a little broader than I thought it would be and this is a little scarier than I ever thought it would be. That's the word that's used here when he says, why did you doubt? He says, why is your faith wavering? After everything you've seen and experienced about life with me, why would you not trust me in this moment? Why would you not believe that I can see you through this too? And what I love about the end of this story is it seems like there's never been a moment that Jesus let go of Peter's hand, right? Because it doesn't say that he brought Peter back up and Peter kept walking on the water. And so Jesus must have, in the midst of the storms and the waves and Peter's feet slipping, must have continued to hold his hands and sustain him above the water. And they step back into the boat together. And it says that as he did, the wind stopped and the disciples worshiped. This is the first time in the entire narrative of Jesus' disciples that we are told that the disciples worshiped Jesus. And it parallels the disciples' later worship of Jesus after the resurrection, when they see that everything he said came to pass, and that he is who he said he is. And that's coincidentally also the only other time when the word that he uses there for doubt is used again because it says that some of the disciples doubted, that some of their faith wavered again, and yet some of them worshiped him. Here we see this beautiful image of what God is like, that God is both all-powerful and he's compassionate. If we served a God that was only powerful and not compassionate, that would be a terrifying image of God to worship. And if we served a God that was only compassionate but wasn't all-powerful, that would be a weak version of God to worship. But we serve a God who is both compassionate and loves us and cares for us and is all-powerful to be able to change circumstances in a moment, to not only catch us and save us and protect us, but also to change the circumstances that are around us in a moment. And in the midst of that, he's compassionate for us when our faith wavers. He doesn't chastise, he doesn't yell, he doesn't say, fine, figure it out, sink if you wanna sink. Instead, he catches us in the moment and he lifts us up and he brings us to safety, even in the midst of his power to change circumstances. You see, this passage is beautiful and I think there's three ways we apply this to our life. The first one is we are invited to trust that the God of the universe who created all things sees us and he is for us even if it looks like he is not acting. God's timing does not often look like our timing and his answer to prayers might not look like the way that we wish it would but he is always seeing us, he is always for us, and he is always acting. And we are invited, this is the second one, we're invited to develop a faith in God that is not dependent on our circumstances and our understanding of the circumstances that we're in, but is a faith in the God who can change those circumstances and be with us in the midst of it. A faith in God that, that, that doesn't shift based off of whether or not we feel like our prayers are being answered or whether or not we feel like everything around us is calm, but is instead centered on the person of Jesus Christ and who he's revealed God to be in scripture and to hold our faith in that. And third, 
we're invited to realize that our doubt doesn't mean we have to stop worshiping because God is present even if the circumstances that are around us are not changing. In the midst of getting ready for surgery and still continuing to pray with students and with other faculty and in my alone time with God, that God would miraculously just take the tumor away. I listened to this song and the song was all about how I actually just need faith in Jesus and I need Jesus more than I need him to answer my prayer. And I centered my heart in that season around the idea that even if God doesn't answer my prayer, it doesn't mean he's not good. And even if he doesn't miraculously heal me, it doesn't mean he's not a healer. And even if it seems like everything around me is chaotic, that doesn't mean that God has ever lost his place on the throne. And centering my heart on the truth of who God is in that season was probably one of the only ways that I made it through it, even in hard moments, was to realize that God saw me and he was with me and he was for me and he loved me and he cared for me. And in that moment, he was walking with me. And there was never a moment when I was abandoned and never a moment I was forgotten and never a moment that the Lord was not working on my behalf. There's this beautiful documentary that I love, and if you spend any time with me, like if you become our kids' ministry director, you'll hear me quote it a lot. And it's a movie called Godspeed. It's about this, this priest who moves out to St. Andrew, Scotland. He and his wife had the opportunity to study under N.T. Wright out there, and he takes a job in a local church in Scotland, and he shows up on the first day, and he says, hey, where's my office? And the priest that's in charge out there says, what do you mean, where's your office? And he said, oh, right, right, where's your office? Where am I working? And he takes him out to the street and he points at the street and he said, there's your office, start walking. And so this priest starts walking and he starts meeting people and he says, you know, the journey of discipleship looks a lot different when you're doing real life with people, right? It's a lot messier when you're doing real life with people. It's really clean and neat when you're sitting in your office, but then you start talking to people and you start being in relationship and you realize none of this is happening overnight. And there's this beautiful moment in the documentary when N.T. Wright comes on and he says something like this. He says, you know, we often want God to move quickly on our behalf, right? And he says, but if we're made in the image of God and the average human being walks three miles per hour, maybe we're expecting a 60 mile per hour God. But if we're made in God's image, maybe he walks just as slowly as we do and walks with us and before us and beside us into those moments. And it doesn't look like the 60 mile per hour God that we wish we saw, but because we're made in God's image, he walks slowly with us through all the ups and downs, through the entire journey, in every moment of discipleship where we're tempted to give up on faith or where we're wondering why he's not showing up or where he possibly could be, he's still walking with us, just a little slower than we ever expected. It's a beautiful picture. It's helped me increase my patience in who God is. And as I read this story, of the disciples, I'm reminded of a three mile per hour God who sat up on the mountain and saw the storm and came down before morning and invited Peter out on the water with him. And when Peter sank, didn't chastise him, but grabbed him and held him and reminded him, you have little faith. Why'd you ever doubt that I would show up? I don't know what circumstances you're walking through here. You have what, three weeks left in the semester. I'm sure you're praying for a lot of tests. I'm sure there's a lot of other things on your mind. You're heading home to family and friends for Thanksgiving. There's a lot of things happening in the world that we're praying for. And God is still walking with us in the midst of that. He's still with us, even if it looks like the prayer is not being answered in the time or in the way that we wished it would. And isn't that a beautiful picture of what God is like? Would you pray with me this morning?
Lord God, thank you for who you have revealed yourself to be in scripture. God, I'm so grateful that we have your word to learn your heart, to learn what you sound like, to learn who you've called us to be, God, to learn what your world is like and what you've invited us to be in the midst of it. God, you are such a good God. God, you are a good God when it looks like our prayers aren't being answered. You're a good God when it's taking longer than we thought it would be. You're a good God in the midst of our missteps and our mistakes because you are still walking with us and you love us. God, when our feet slip, you catch our hands and you remind us how good you are and how worthy you are of our faith and our allegiance and our trust. God, I pray this morning for people in this room whose hearts might have been tempted to give up. God, who have wondered if they're just praying into silence, who have wondered what it'll look like when you show up and and what it'll be like when you show up. God, I pray for a restoration of hope this morning, that you do walk with us and you do see us and you love us and you're with us and you're for us, God, that your heart is always bent toward us. God, you care for us so well. You're a good father and you are worthy of our entire worship and our entire allegiance. God, as as we head into the rest of the semester and in these final few weeks, would you remind our heart daily of that truth, that you see us, that you come out towards us, that when our feet slip, you rescue us, and because of that, you are worthy of our worship. God, you're worthy of everything we have, of all of our seconds, of all of our attention, of all of our time, of all of our praise. You are such a good God. So this morning and today and throughout our day, help us to have time with you to process our relationship with you. God, help us to have time where we can get real with you because you're a God that loves when we show up and and tell you, even though you know our thoughts and you know our heart, when we can be honest with you, God, about times when we felt abandoned or disappointed by you so that you can remind us that you have never left us, not for one second. God, you are good. You're worthy of our worship. And so today we give you everything that we have. In name we pray, amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Have a great rest of the semester.